The Productive Woman, Episode 224. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you for joining me in this episode. We'll be talking about some things we can stop doing this year to make our lives more productive. You'll find more information and links to resources I mentioned in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 224. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. I have mentioned several times in the past how important Text Expander is to my personal productivity with its ability to create snippets for frequently used text, saving me hours of time each month. This time I want to mention how useful Text Expander can be to teams in your business or any organization with the need to communicate. Text Expander multiplies your team's productivity by making up-to-date shared knowledge available instantly. Using Text Expander, all of your team's common responses are accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. They are written and edited by your best writers and shared with everyone on your team. They're available on multiple platforms, whether it's macOS, iOS, Windows, and the web, and they are updated immediately everywhere when they're modified. So your team is using the same information to communicate with each other, with your customers or clients. It's just really a great tool for working with teams. Using Text Expander with your team will change your life, making you more productive and leaving more time for what you do best. And for larger teams, Text Expander supports single sign on and grouping accounts to make onboarding new team members a breeze. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And when you decide to buy, you'll get 20% off your first year as a Productive Woman listener. Remember to mention the Productive Woman in their How Did You Hear About Us question so they'll know that we sent you. That is textexpander.com slash podcast for more information and for 20% off your first year of Text Expander. I hope you are using it and loving it as much as I do. Now let's get right into this week's topic. You know, I try to take a positive approach to topics in this podcast. I typically will talk about things to add and not subtract. I I try to focus on positive things to do rather than negative things to avoid. And the title of this episode kind of seems to come at it from a negative perspective. But I just kept pondering the things that we, that I do that hold us back from accomplishing what we care about most and making a life that matters. And so I thought this episode, I would share a few things that we can stop doing with a suggestion for each for something we can do instead. One of the things that I uh, have learned from reading various resources about habits and that sort of thing, that it is really hard to simply break a habit. It's more effective to replace it with a new one. So as I talk about some of these things that maybe we want to stop doing, 
I'll share some things we can do instead that will maybe be helpful in making our lives more productive in the sense of not just accomplishing the things we want to do, but making a life that matters. So let's get into that. The first one that came to mind that, that we need to stop doing is comparing ourselves to others. So, you know, to put it bluntly, it would be a good thing for you to stop comparing yourself to others. And so why? Why do we need to stop doing that? There's so much damage caused to us as people by comparison. So much harm that's done. I've talked about this in the past that we, you know, we compare and we feel badly about ourselves, but we're not comparing apples to apples. We compare our insides to other people's outsides. We don't always see what's going on behind the scenes in this other person that we're comparing ourselves to, whether it's personally or professionally as a mom, as, as a, you know, a lawyer, as whatever, uh, whatever your profession is, when we compare ourselves to other people, most of the time it's damaging. Uh, one psychology today article said it called three reasons to stop comparing yourself to others. And I'll have links to all of these articles in the show notes. They're very much worth looking at. Um, this article in psychology today said, while comparisons can be informative, they're almost always discouraging because someone's always going to end up on the bottom. And, you know, there's, it's simply not an effective means of moving forward or making your life better to compare yourself to others, because either you're going to feel like you're on the bottom, or you're going to feel like they're on the bottom and your interactions with them are not going to be helped by you looking down on them. The same Psychology Today article said comparisons turn friends and allies into rivals. And that's true in business. It's true in parenting. It's true in all areas. When we compare, we, we compete. And that is not helpful in terms of making our life meaningfully productive. An article in Forbes talks about how comparing ourselves to others can be destructive of relationships, destructive of our self-esteem, all those sorts of things. And that article points out, and I'm quoting here, there's a huge difference in energy and outcome between seeing other people's success and using that vision to inspire you versus beating yourself up mercilessly because you're not where they are. Again, it's just there, we can be motivated and inspired by things other people who accomplish. But when we start comparing ourselves to them, negative things start to happen. And we just need to stop doing that. We cannot, we never see the whole story in someone else's life, whether it's professionally or personally. We see the Instagram photos, the Facebook posts, we see all the good stuff. No matter how well you know someone, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know the whole story. And comparing yourself to, you know, a partial view is never going to be productive. It's never going to be helpful. And I encourage us all, and I'm, you know, right, right at the top of the list of people I'm talking to here to stop comparing ourselves to others. What can we do instead? Well, you can let yourself be inspired by what others do, but not measured by it. Um, 
see the outcome that other people have and maybe learn from them some of the steps they took to get there. But don't measure your accomplishments by somebody else's. Don't measure your worth by what somebody else has done. Just let them inspire you. That same Psychology Today article suggests, and here's a quote from there that I thought this was so good. A better way to figure out how am I doing might be to compare ourselves today to where we were in the past or to where we want to be in the future. So if you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to who you were a year ago, six months ago, 10 years ago. Look at all the progress you've made. Give some value to that. Or compare yourself to who you are today to who you want to be in the future, whatever, wherever you are professionally, personally, as a mom, as, as a citizen, in whatever area, consider who you want to be, get that vision of who you want to be in the future, and start taking steps to get there. This requires awareness, right? In order to validly compare yourself today to who you were in the past, you got to keep track of some of those areas that you've been working on and be able to see where you were then versus where you are now. Uh, So keep a journal, keep a spreadsheet, you know, whatever. It depends on the kinds of things you're tracking. Maybe professionally, you need to uh, make progress in the number of sales you make or something like that. A spreadsheet could be really helpful there. But the idea is whatever areas you're working on that you want to improve in, keep track of those so that you can go back and see the track record of, of accomplishment. And be sure to acknowledge the progress you've made, no matter how slight. Any progress is better than no progress, right? And readjust your approach to keep moving forward in the direction you want to do. So let's resolve. Remember last week's episode, a resolution is a firm decision to to do or not do something. Let's all resolve to stop comparing ourselves to other people and instead let other people's accomplishments inspire us, but not measure us and instead compare ourselves to where we've been and where we're heading. So that's number one. Number two thing to stop doing this year is taking chances with your online security. So this is a real practical one. And when I'm talking about taking chances, I'm talking about making risky choices, using simple passwords or the same simple password for all your online accounts, using insecure public Wi-Fi to do, um, you know, banking transactions or, or other things, using non-password protected devices. We need to all stop doing this. Why? Well, so much of our life in this 21st century is online, which means we have a lot of exposure to people who want to take advantage of us, who want to steal our data and do nefarious things with information they can get from our accounts. If you Google how many people were hacked in 2018, which I did um, just out of curiosity. There was a long list of articles discussing major data breaches that happened in 2018. Facebook was breached, Macy's, Sears, Delta Airline, Best Buy, Uber, and Equifax. Huge companies who whose security was breached because there are people who make it their business to steal information from companies and individuals. This is a you know 
topic of discussion in my profession as a lawyer, because lawyers are often target law firms are targets of this sort of thing for various reasons that the, the upside of having so much of our life online is the convenience of it and the connectedness. Those can be great things, but the downside is that we can be vulnerable to having our important data or just our, you know, memories, you know, photographs and those sorts of things uh, taken advantage of by people who we shouldn't, you know, we don't want to have that stuff. So we need to be careful about what we're doing and not take chances with our online security. So what should we do instead of taking chances? Number one is to be smart. Use wisdom in in the passwords that we create, that we use. Now, I know it's easy to use one phrase or one word that we use for everything. That's simpler because we can remember it. But that's a risky choice. That is handing, almost tantamount to handing over your data to bad people because it's so easily broken. And if you use the same password for multiple accounts, if they get into one of them, they've got them all. They can figure them out because they'll just, once they get into one account, they'll keep trying that combination of your email address and that password that they found in all sorts of other accounts till they find other, other accounts that you have. So the wisdom for passwords is that for every important account that you have online, use a unique, complex password. One one article, and I, I'm going to put links to a couple articles about online security in the show notes for this. I encourage you to check those out and really think about this. And one of these articles defined, you know, a unique complex password is one that you don't use anywhere else. And you either remember it or you save it in your password management application. Length is key, this article says. A password with 14 or more characters is very strong. So a unique password means it's a password you're only using for that account. You don't use it for anything else. Complex is one that is challenging for hackers to figure out, even with their advanced technology. The longer it is, the more variety of characters you use, um, and that sort of thing, the more complex it is, the harder it is for hackers to break it. So uh, again, these articles will go into more specifics. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but you should not use a dictionary word. You certainly shouldn't use the word password or your name or the account name or anything, your email address, anything like that as a password. It should be a combination of uppercase, lowercase letters, numbers, and characters like exclamation points, asterisks, hash marks, you know, pound signs, those sorts of things. And at least 14 characters or more for your really important accounts. And when I'm thinking of important accounts, I'm talking about your email, uh, your banking accounts, um, anything like that that's related to your money. Maybe you have an investment online website where you can go to manage your investments. Those especially should be really unique and complex passwords because the data there is so important. Your email is important because most of the time when you set up a new account online, they send the information to your email account, right? So if 
somebody gets into your email, if they figure out your email password and get in there, they're going to be able to see all those emails when you set up a new account at a store or at a bank or anything like that, they're going to get that access to that email and be able to get into those accounts. So it's really important that your email be secure, that your any anything related to your money, those sorts of things, that those be unique, complex passwords. Consider using pass phrases. Um, one, one trick is to use a, a phrase that's made up of four or five completely unrelated words. I've heard of some people who just look at their bookshelf and they pick a word ra- randomly, a, one word from different book titles to create a passphrase. So that's one way to do it. Another way is to think up of a, a long sentence that is meaningful to you and use the first letter or the last letter of each word in that sentence. Now, of course, if you're using complex passwords like that, it's hard to remember them. That's why we, so many of us don't do it. You know, I made a, you know, the comment that you shouldn't use password as your password. But the reason I say that you think that's ridiculous, but statistically, that's the most commonly used password. And hackers know that. Uh, But it's easy. That's why we do it. That's why we use the same password over and over again. And we choose something simple, because we our brains can't remember all those things. Still, it's so important that you need to find a way to be able to use them. And you can uh, use a password manager. I highly recommend that for everybody. This is a, a vault, basically, that stores your passwords for you in an encrypted fashion so that they're all there. And you the only password you have to remember is your password manager's password. So I use LastPass. I'm not an affiliate. I'm just saying that's what I use. One password is another one. Dashlane is another. Uh, I'll try to remember to share there. are If you Google, in case I don't get it in the show notes, you can Google password managers reviewed or ratings or something like that. And there are a couple of magazines or, you know, security type things that do an article every year about the best password managers. So check that out and choose one and use it. I can't recommend that highly enough. Enable two-factor authentication wherever it's available. All the security experts recommend this. Two-factor authentication means you're going to have to have two different ways to confirm that it's you getting into your account. And so Dropbox uses this. all the banking ones I think do, Facebook makes it available. Uh, basically, what you have to have is your password and your phone. It usually is how this works. Because if you, with two-factor authentication, when you log into your account from a new device that the the account doesn't recognize, it'll ask you to authenticate. So you've entered your password and it says, okay, you haven't ever logged in from this device before. We're going to send you a text because you've given them that your phone number before. We're going to send you a text with a code and you got to enter that code, come back here and enter that code in order to log in. And so that's a double way of making sure that if a hacker gets your password, they're still not going to be able to get into your account unless they've got your phone too. So something to think about. 
I mentioned one of the risky behaviors that a lot of us do is using unsecured public Wi-Fi to do business or to communicate online. Uh, so at the airport, at Starbucks, at you know places like that, if you're at accessing your accounts, whether it's your bank account or whatever, uh, that public Wi-Fi, the data flying around in the Ethernet is available to anybody with the technology to do it. And unfortunately, there are hackers who sit around places like that and have the ability to kind of watch the Internet. Uh, and I don't know that all the technicalities of this. There are articles that I've, I've, I've studied this some, but... Essentially, they have the ability to watch what you're typing in and capture your keystrokes. It's scary, but it's true. So the best practice is to use a VPN, something like encrypt.me that will block that so that when you log in on an unsecure public Wi-Fi network, that encrypt.me kicks in and kind of creates a, a wall around your account and makes it more secure. That's the one that I use. There are others as well. For more information about this kind of thing, check out the articles that I've linked to. One of them in particular, Practical Tips for Personal Online Security was a really helpful one. So check that out. So that was number two. We're going to, number one is we're going to stop comparing yourself to others. Number two, stop taking chances with your online security. Number three, Stop being paralyzed by perfectionism. Corollary to that is stop beating yourself up for your mistakes, whether past or present. Why do we need to stop being paralyzed by perfectionism? Because perfectionism is a real hazard to us. Because of perfectionism, we do nothing. We fail ahead of time or we start things but don't finish them. John Acuff in his book, Finish, which is excellent, I recommended it um, in a recent episode, and I'll probably be talking about this book more. He talks about the effects of perfectionism on keeping us from accomplishing the things we care about. He says, perfectionism magnifies your mistakes and minimizes your progress. The harder you try to be perfect, he says, the less likely you'll accomplish your goals. And he, he makes this statement that I thought was so good. Developing tolerance for imperfection is the key factor in turning chronic starters into consistent finishers. And that is so important to us. If you, like me, struggle sometimes with starting but not finishing because your perfectionism holds you back, you're, you know, you're not, you can't do it until it's perfect. You can't let it go until it's perfect then as Acuff says, developing tolerance for imperfection is the key factor in turning chronic starters into consistent finishers. Perfectionism can keep us from starting because we're, we're going to just keep researching and researching, or we're just so afraid of making a mistake, we do nothing. Or it, we may start, but just keep trying working on it. This I, people, I know people, and I've been that person, working on the same article or novel or whatever for years, not sending it out because it's got to be perfect. And there's no such thing as perfection, but nevertheless, we have this in our head that until we've got it perfect, we can't proceed and therefore we do nothing. So we need to stop letting perfectionism paralyze us. What can we do instead? Well, we can learn, we can learn to manage our thinking around this, understand that perfectionism 
isn't the goal. Perfection is not the goal. It's not a realistic goal. It's not something any of us ever achieves. And so we need to just start. If we have been holding off on, you know, getting going on some goal, something we want to accomplish, something we've dreamed about, but we're, we, we're afraid to start consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes it's, this is a subconscious thing. We just know we've dreamed about it, but we haven't taken the action yet and realize that it's a fear of failure, fear of not being able to do it perfectly that holds us back. So we're just going to start. I mean, that's the answer, right? Know that we can improve it as we go along, that we can edit something, we can iterate. But if we don't do anything, there's there's nothing to perfect, there's nothing to improve. So instead of being paralyzed per- by perfectionism, we're going to just start and then we're going to finish and what, by allowing imperfection to be okay. Being okay with the fact that we're not ever going to get whatever this thing is that we're working on perfectly, but we can send it out into the world having done the best we're capable of. One of the things ACUF recommends in Finnish in the book is whatever goal we have that we're hesitating that we haven't either haven't started or we've started but haven't finished is to cut it in half. So uh, if the goal is to Oh, I I should have written down some of the examples from his book. But you know, if the goal is to lose 10 pounds in six months, cut it in half, make it into something you, you know, is accomplishable. Um, So we'll lose five pounds in six months, we can do that, you know, or if the goal is to, you know, we've set this goal for ourselves to run a marathon and we just never quite get there. Maybe we're just going to run a 5k or a 3k or, you know, run half a mile, cut the goal down to a size that you know, you can accomplish, do that and let the momentum carry you forward. So we're going to stop being paralyzed by perfectionism this year. And we're going to take action on the goals that we dreamed about. And we're going to keep moving forward and keep taking action until we've finished whatever the thing is, acknowledging that perfection is not achievable by mortal human beings. And that's okay. Uh, So that's number three. Number four uh, that we need to stop doing this year is letting your decisions be motivated by fears of what others might think. And a lot of us do that. This kind of ties with the perfectionism thing that if we don't do it perfectly, people will think badly of us. Or if I do this thing that I've been thinking of, what's my mom going to think? Or what's my boss going to think? Or what, you know, what's anybody going to think? They, whoever they are. Doing that is crippling. And one article said it so well that, um, and I'm quoting here, when you're afraid to disappoint people or get rejected, if you don't say yes, you fall into fear-based, people-pleasing, self-sacrificing behaviors that lead to resentment. But when fear is no longer running the show, you say no when it feels self-loving. As they say, no is a complete sentence. This doesn't mean you won't devote yourself to generosity and service. It means the service stems from a genuine love-based rather than fear-based motivation. Um, This article is called 10 Signs Fear is Running Your Life. And it's so good. Again, link in the show notes. Check that out. Um, Often letting our decisions be motivated by fears of what others may 
think leads to us saying yes to things we don't want to say yes to. And that's kind of what this article is getting at. We need to be okay with saying no when it's the right thing to do. We sometimes take on too much in our lives because we don't want to disappoint people. We want people to like us, all the reasons we've talked about in the past. And we end up with a full schedule and not doing the things that really matter most to us. And so I am saying, let let us as individuals, as a community agree that we're not going to do that this year. We're not going to let our decisions to say yes or no, or our decisions about what goals to pursue, our decisions about what career to pursue, any of those things to be motivated by fears of what others might think. But instead, we're going to operate out of, as as the article referred to it, a genuine love-based motivation. We're going to do what's what's right, what serves us and the other people in our lives. So instead of letting our decisions be motivated by fears of what others might think, we're going to instead, here's what we can do instead. Identify that very short list of people whose opinion of you matters. Okay, this is something that uh, Brene has talked about often in her books, a very short list of the people whose opinion of you matters. The right to speak into your life is earned by demonstrated care for your physical and emotional well-being. What everybody thinks, whoever everybody is, what whoever they are, should should not matter to us. And we need to learn to let go of that. And I, I want to say this again, because as I was kind of working on the outline for this episode, I typed this and I sat back and kind of looked at it and I thought, yeah, that is so right. The right to speak into your life is earned by demonstrated care for your physical and emotional well-being. The opinions of people who don't care about your physical or emotional well-being should not matter to you. Okay. The only people whose opinion of you matters or should, should matter to us. Okay. I'm speaking for all of us is those people that we know care about us. So I care very much what Mike, my husband, Mike thinks about me and about the decisions I make. He has earned the right to have an opinion about my choices by a lifetime of sh- demonstrating that he cares about my well-being. My mom's opinion of me, my kids' opinion of me matter. A lot of other people's opinion just don't matter. And I am committed. I resolve, okay, going back to um, last week's episode, I resolve to stop worrying about the opinions of people who don't actually care about me. Okay. People that don't know me, don't care about me, their opinion doesn't matter. And I encourage you to do the same. Recognize that everybody's entitled to their opinion, but you don't have to listen to it. People can, can have an opinion about what you do or what you say, the decisions you make, but you don't have to listen to it. Come up with that short list of people whose opinion of you matters. Only focus on those. Everybody else you can, and I don't mean pardon the phrase, flipping them the bird and saying, I I don't care about you. I'm just saying internally, you can let, let other people have their opinion. And you can do that in a loving way in your own heart of, uh, you know, they're entitled to think what they think. 
I'm going to live my life according to what serves me and the people who care about me. Just a thought. That's number four. We're going to stop letting our decisions be motivated by fears of what other people might think. Number five, stop filling your schedule with activities that leave no space to think or rest or savor. You know, why does this matter? We, Why do we fill up our schedules? This is something that we've talked about uh, several times in the last year in particular about how often we feel overwhelmed with our schedule just packed every minute full, full of commitments, full of things that are good, things that are valuable, things that maybe that we like, but there's never a down moment. And why do we do that? There's lots of reasons, you know, not time in this episode to get deeply into us, into that, but, but really think about why we do that. We, we fill up our hours maybe to feel needed to, uh, we often, I think, fill up every moment to avoid any downtime unconsciously, subconsciously, we are trying to avoid downtime because we're trying to avoid silence that lets that voice in our head tell us that we're not enough. I think most of the time this is subconscious that we are just trying to do enough to be good enough. And you'll never be able to do enough to, to feel good enough. That's got to start with managing our minds. And we'll talk about that another time. We often fill up our schedules because we feel like we're at the mercy of our circumstances. We're living reactively instead of with intention. But I've been thinking about this a lot. I mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, one of the books that I've been reading is uh, Lisa Turkhurst's book, The Best Yes. And the subtitle of it is Making Wise Decisions in the Midst of Endless Demands. And she says a couple of things that really spoke to me on this topic. She says, a woman who lives with the stress of an overwhelmed schedule will often ache with the sadness of an underwhelmed soul. She also said, the decisions we make dictate the schedules we keep. The schedules we keep determine the lives we live and the lives we live determine how we spend our souls. So instead of filling every moment of our days with activities, even good activities, to the point that we have no space left to think or to rest or to savor our, the experiences we're having, what are we going to do instead? simple kinds of things we can do. We can leave white space on our calendars. We can leave gaps between commitments instead of scheduling back to back to back meetings. Now, sometimes for short periods of time, that's going to happen, but don't let that become the norm, right? Start to take action now to make sure that's not our everyday schedule downtime put it onto the calendar, block it out, make time for relationships, of course, as part of that, but also put onto your calendar time that's blocked out for silence, for solitude, for time to think and to evaluate is how I'm spending my time consistent with the person I want to be. We can be prepared to say yes slowly and only to those commitments that resonate with our purpose. And you can take responsibility for your life. Again, back to what Lisa Turker says in The Best Yes, today's choices become tomorrow's circumstances. She says, your decisions determine your direction. Your direction will determine destination. 
really valuable thoughts to, to take to heart. And if you can make some time in your schedule to, uh, to think about those sorts of things, maybe to read an inspiring book and, and ponder what it says, not just hurry through it, but to just really take time to think through what it's saying and leaving time to savor those times with your family, with the people you care about. So that's what we're going to do instead of filling our schedule with activities, you know, so that there's not a down moment left. Number six, we're going to, I encourage you to stop putting yourself at the bottom of your list or leaving yourself off the list altogether. Why do we do that? Women seem to, to do this uh, often. We do it because we care about others. We want to take care of others. We want to excel in whatever we're doing. Sometimes we do it because consciously or not, we think it's selfish to take time for ourselves. There's that old Puritan ethic that, that, you know, we're supposed to be just working all the time. And so we overcommit to work, to family, to church, to community, and something has to give and we don't want to let anybody else down. So we put off that self-care or that personal goal or that hobby or that rest, you know? So I'm encouraging you and I'm inviting you to join me in, in stopping doing this. Stop putting yourself at the bottom of your list. Instead, what, what will we do? Well, we can understand the importance of self-care. First of all, the people you love need you to be your best self in order to make the contribution to the world that you were put here to make. You need to be your best self. And you can't be that if you're exhausted and discouraged, overwhelmed, sick and distracted for the sake of the people you love, for the world that needs what you have to bring to it. And for yourself, take care of yourself, understand the importance of self-care. And so figure out what feeds you and schedule that on your calendar. What, what encourages you? What lifts you up? What uh, makes you feel cared for? Do you need a spa day? Does just time to sit with a cup of coffee or hot chocolate or tea and read a good book or crafting? Maybe it's a dinner with a friend or a nap you know, what are, what are the things that feed you that help you be your best self? Figure out what those things are, put them on your calendar, block out your, the time to do that. And then do, <laughs> and then do those things, you know, put yourself on your list. And, th- and this kind of ties to number seven, the thing that I want to stop doing and the thing I want you to s- consider stopping committing to stop doing this year. And that's stop breaking your promises to yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean that we, you know, make an appointment for a spa day, say, or we make a decision, you know, we put on our calendar time to work on a thing, a, a crafting project or dinner with a friend or to visit a place we, or a vacation, any of those things that we want to do just for ourselves. And then when the time comes, it gets pushed aside for something else. Uh, or we set a goal for ourselves and then we don't take the action that we committed to take. Every time we do that, we're breaking a promise we made to ourselves. And we do that 
even though we're the kind of people who would never break a promise to somebody else, we think it doesn't matter. We don't see it as a promise made to ourselves, And so we don't see it as a promise broken. But, you know, one writer has said, when you break promises to yourself, you send yourself a powerful message that you are not important. You also go against your values around being honest and acting with integrity. It matters when you make a commitment, when you make a decision, when you make an appointment for self-care or for something fun or something for yourself. It matters when you break that promise. It matters when I break that promise to myself. And so what can we do instead? If we don't want to send the message to ourself that you don't matter, you can wait. This other thing is more important. Everything is more important than you. That's the message that we're sending when we break those promises. When we make a an appointment, we make a commitment to ourselves, and then we don't follow through. So what are we going to do instead? Well, we're going to do, you know, we're going to practice making, keeping those commitments that we make to ourselves. And there are various things that we can do. It started a list. And then I found this article that I thought was really good, the, uh, called the power of promises, how to never let yourself down again, link in the show notes, but they offered six suggestions for getting better at keeping the commitments you make to yourself. Number one, they said is make promises you can keep. So be realistic in your daily commitment. They suggest making a small commitment, you know, like everything else, a habit that we want to develop, we start small. So maybe uh, you want to, uh, part of your self-care is to uh, have, you know, read, read a motivational book. Okay. There's a simple thing you can do. So, so make a small commitment that you can keep. And maybe it's that you're going to read two pages every morning after breakfast. Okay. Whatever it is that's, that is achievable given your circumstances now, start very small and know that you, that's something you can keep. There's no reason you can't. So be realistic. Number two, the article says is make it your number one priority. Don't let anything else get in the way because you've got to train yourself to trust yourself again. So you're going to make a very small commitment and keep it faithfully. You're going to be very specific. That's number three on their list. Make it very clear. I'm going to go for the example they gave is I'm going to go for a 30 minute run today. Okay. Write it down is number four. Keep it somewhere visible at home and at work, whatever promise you've made to yourself, write it down, keep it visible make it a priority. Don't, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you're, you're the resistance that will come up will be severe, but commit to it and make it happen. Number five is chart your success. So keep a track record, uh, keep track of it. Maybe put a star on the calendar each day that you do it, start that pattern. And number six is reward your success. So how will you celebrate keeping a week of promises after you've done it for a week? How will you reward yourself? Another writer has said, studies show that keeping a promise to yourself helps you feel strong and confident and boosts your productivity and your happiness. So that's why we're going to do it. We're going to start keeping our promises to ourselves. So those are the six things 
or I'm sorry, seven things that I'm going to stop doing this year. And I'm encouraging you to consider as well. Number one, stop comparing yourself to others and instead be inspired by what others do, but not measured by it. And just compare yourself to who you were and who you want to be. Number two, stop taking chances with your online security and make better choices to protect yourself uh, online. Number three, stop being paralyzed by perfectionism and get started and move forward. Number four, stop letting your decisions be motivated by fears of what others might think. Number five, stop filling your schedule with activities that leave no space to think or rest or savor your experiences. Number six, stop putting yourself at the bottom of your list or leaving yourself off the list altogether. And number seven, stop breaking your promises to yourself. So what do you think? Are those things that you're willing to stop doing this year? Maybe you already have um, strategies in place to not do those things. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, How can we support and encourage ourselves in these areas? Please consider sharing your questions or your thoughts in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash 224, or you can post a comment or a question in, uh, in Facebook on the Productive Woman Facebook page. Anybody can comment there. Or if you're in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, post your comment or question there and let's continue the conversation. And by the way, if you're a woman who listens to this show and you're not in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, please consider joining us there. I'd love to have you be part of the group. Uh, Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, guys, um, it's only for the women at this point, but I still love hearing from the guys who listen to the show. So, um, you know, post on the Facebook page or you men or women, anybody, if you want to share your thoughts with me privately, email those questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from you, I want to say a quick thank you to Carrie from the United States, who recently left a very kind review of the podcast in iTunes. Carrie said, I just found this podcast and I'm really loving it. I'm making an effort to manage my time, tasks, and schedule with a focus on my relationships and my happiness. This podcast is like having my mom in the room, giving me really interesting points to consider and actionable steps. I listen to this podcast while doing my household chores or when driving. It's a podcast I feel comfortable listening to out loud while my kids play nearby. And I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you, Carrie, for those kind words. That's exactly, I don't know that I want to be, you know, your mom, but I hope you can consider me a friend who cares about your productivity. So thanks so much, Carrie, for those kind words. And for everybody, don't forget whether to boost your own productivity or to make your team more efficient and effective, think of Text Expander as a key productivity tool. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And remember, you can get that 20% off your first year by using that link and mentioning the productive woman in their how did you hear about us question. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you found something in it that's worthwhile and helpful to you. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. 
Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.